0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Thank you so much. Those are great thoughts. Be still my soul. We've come today to worship, to celebrate, to learn from God's Word, to fellowship, and we do so have time to be still and worship our God. What is the best gift you have ever received in your life? Maybe at the time it was really the best gift. Maybe you look back now and think, oh, it's a great deal. But at the time you thought, wow, this is the best gift I have ever received. What is the best gift you've ever received? What's the best gift you've ever given in your life? Now, for me, the best gift I, I got the most return on I've ever given was a jewelry box. Yeah, we'll tell you that story sometime, another day. That was a great gift and uh, changed my life. What's the best gift you ever received? What is the best gift you ever received? Let's think about that this morning. Gifts and gifts that God gives us and gifts that we have given and gifts we share with one another. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter two one, excuse me, chapter one. Philippians chapter one. And in this passage of scripture, we are going to conclude the first chapter, and we are in a series from this epistle of Paul. Remember I tried to promise you I wouldn't call it the book of Philippians. I'd try to remember to call it the epistle to the Philippians, right? It's a letter. And we talked about the very first week has all the markings of a friendship letter, of a a very warm letter between the Apostle Paul and this congregation at Philippi, whom he felt so close to and such a partner with in the ministry. But before we go into the word this morning, can we just pray just for a moment? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, uh, we pray, we've we've, we've sung to, to still our souls before you. And we pray in that stillness, Lord, as we... Open your word that uh, we would seek your face and we would uh, see your design for our lives. You would open hearts to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray for our young people and children as they continue to meet the early childhood, the young people in the nursery. Uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing on them as they spend time with their leaders and their teachers. and As they open your word now in the the children's departments, uh, may you bless them as well. And as they sing together and continue to worship and prepare to lead us in ministry. Bless this time now, and again, we never take for granted the privilege and the freedom we have to come freely to worship as we please as the family of Christ. We pray this in His precious name. All God's people can say with me, Amen. Amen. So be it. Amen. Okay? Philippians chapter 3, we read this passage already. But let's look at it in verse 27. Whatever happens, now, now I remind just remember last week, last week because of Easter, we moved ahead to uh, a little bit later on in, in this passage uh, in the book of Philippians. And so we will, that was chapter 3, verse 20. So we moved ahead because it was Easter and it fits so well. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him, To bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. They will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven. Keep that thought as we go back to chapter 1 and pick up today where we left off two weeks ago. Paul says this, whatever happens, Philippians, whatever happens to you or to me, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy of the in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the reason I asked you to reflect just for a moment on last week's chapter three is because last week we talked about that word our citizenship is in heaven. Because these were people who lived in a Roman city where they were citizens of Rome with all the rights and responsibilities thereof, and they greatly. Um, We're proud of that, took pride in that, that they were citizens of Rome. They were an outpost of Rome in Macedonia, in that area, to spread the Roman culture and to spread the Roman way of life. Uh, They were an outpost, as we are an outpost of heaven, the citizens of heaven. We are an outpost here on earth to to spread the love of God and to spread the Christian culture, if you will, our way of life and our way of of seeing things and, and our way of reaching people. In this verse here, though, you'll notice our translations I read from the NIV. It says, conduct yourselves in a manner. What's interesting is, um, this is another translation, ESV, I believe, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting that the word there, conduct yourselves, is actually that same word, the same root word that we saw last week for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And here it is, we are to act as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. So you see this word is in Philippians, but really would mean something to this church at Philippi. Conduct yourselves as citizens who are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in such a way. Live your life in such a way that shows it is worthy Of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worthy of the gospel. You know, that's a high calling, isn't it? It's a high calling. None of us, we don't, we don't ever suggest that you can live a perfect life. We do not teach sinless perfection in our life, in our church. But we do, we do teach it is possible to live a lifestyle that is worthy of the gospel, a lifestyle that reflects That we live who we are. This is reasonable and uh, this is something that God, through His Holy Spirit, enables us to do. It's interesting to me, you know, when you open the the book of Acts and the Gospels as well, you will see plenty of times where you'll find Gentiles who are there in synagogue. You notice that when Paul talks in the synagogue and that God fears there's Gentiles there. They They are not Jews. They are not converts to Judaism yet. But they are there in synagogue. Why are they there in synagogue? You'd you'd have to really, I mean, if if you could just appreciate the cultural difference between Judaism in the first century and the Greek pagan culture that surrounded them. I mean, it was stark. It was stark. That was a culture where, much like today, where there was so much hedonism, where uh, sexual promiscuity and sexual norm and family norms were, were, were so different than what the Jews practiced and what they believed. And it's interesting, many many Bible scholars, Jewish scholars, historians believe that it was the high ethical standards in Judaism that attracted these people. There were those in that society that were attracted to the fact that, that the Jews had this high ethical norms of family life, of how they treated one another, how they lived in community. Um, and, and reflected that, and people were attracted to that. And, it's, and I think that, you know, could we say the same thing in our culture today? Oftentimes we look at our culture today and, and we notice the differences between um, family values and the, and the norm of Scripture and the way we are to love and have compassion, the way we are to be honest, the way we are to treat people. We look at all these things and sometimes all we see is opposition. But is it possible? Is it possible that as we live this way that this will be attractive to people? That people will look at this and say, um, you know, as we one of our leaders at our pastors conference this week talked about to, to be prepared to give an answer to any person that asks of you, that it's not just doctrinal. It's like it's like in that context, why are you living this way? Why do you treat people this way? Why why is your family this way? Why do you hold these high moral values? And Paul says, listen, we should we should live in such a way as we are citizens worthy of the of, of what God has given us and what God has called. If we are citizens of heaven, we should live lives here on earth that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a high calling, isn't it? But not to be discouraged, not to be discouraged because the Bible makes it plenty clear that the Holy Spirit is here to enable us Not perfection, but to live a life pleasing to God. And that that is perfectly reasonable. The book of Romans addresses that many times about servanthood and slavery to the flesh and slavery to the spirit and being slaves of God. So Paul says, whatever happens to you, I want you to behave as citizens worthy of of this place that you are called to, this you know the kingdom of God. Paul speaks freely—not the messianic kingdom on earth—but he talks freely about the kingdom of God. At the end of the book of Acts, he spent two years preaching and teaching the king. What is that? It's the overall—it's the overall kingdom of God, to where to where God dwells, and to all those who serve Him and worship Him are to to reflect those same standards and those same qualities. Live a life, friends, worthy. And we are here to to preach and teach God's word and its fullness. Live a life worthy, and this will be used by God, I believe, to draw people. Be prepared when someone asks you, why is that important to you? Why Why don't you cheat at work? Why won't you do what we're doing? Why won't you make that decision? Be prepared to tell them. Tell them why. It's because of what God has done for you and how much God loves us. And we never want anybody to leave this place anytime we meet without having heard at least once how much God loves you, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, to allow you to have a relationship with him because he loves you. He chose to love you. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to love me, and I certainly didn't deserve it. But he chose to. So because of that, let's live lives, Paul says, Philippians, live your life in such a way that it's attractive. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you. He said, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to come. We've seen that. But if I don't, I'm going to hear reports. And I want to hear these reports that, that this is what's happening. Whether I, whether I come to see you, or if I only hear about you in my absence, I will know, now look at this, that you stand firm In one spirit, contending, that's a strong language, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And in that standing, in that contending, this this is also strong, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to stand firm. You know, this this idea of stand is, is something that Paul speaks of often in his epistles. Stand Stand firm and put on the armor of God that you might be able to what? Stand in the day of opposition. Paul talks about this standing firm, standing straight, right? Every so often people remind me, stand up straight. <laughs> stand up straight, right? You know, you can't tell you, Stand up straight. Paul says, stand up. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then look at the language he uses here. I want you to, he says, Philippians, I want you to stand. And I want you to stand firm on firm ground. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And in doing so, I want you to stand in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. This also is an interesting uh, translation of the Greek language here, because here here really is probably a, a, a better translation... They, You know, people say, well, if it's better. Why don't you use that translation? <laughs> well, that's because in any given week, any passage we're in, one translation might be a little more reflective of what I might think is a, is a good translation or not. Um, that's that's translations. In this particular case, I think it's helpful to understand that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's pretty straightforward. And I, and, and I guess the question is, is that the Holy Spirit or is that our spirit? You know, our, our spirit together. Well, do we have to separate those two? If, if the Holy Spirit dwells within, that we stand together in the Holy Spirit and in our spirit as joint with, we are one with Christ. We are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I want you to stand firm together in one spirit. And you notice this translation says, with one mind. It's actually the word soul in the, in the Greek. It's the word for soul. And the idea that, that your spirit and your soul, maybe, and, and then that's where the word mind comes in, your spirit and your mind, that you take this total aspect of our persona, our humanity, our being, the physical, you know, stand firm, but do so with the spirit and the mind, That you, this, this totality of you, that you would stand with these things that, that are so important, that the, the, the essence of who we are, stand in these things. And reflect the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. It's simple. Think about our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, Follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the qualities of life when he was on earth. Apostle, Jesus Christ said, Come into me, all you are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I learn of me. Learn of me. I am humble. He came as the servant. He was the he was the servant leader. and and and, and Paul says that we are to we are to mimic this to stand in this life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ the gospel of Christ with our total being with our spirit and our soul it doesn't get any deeper than that friends it doesn't get any deeper than that and look what he says here he says striving now, these are strong words contending striving striving as one man for the faith of the gospel I thought about this word, and I thought, what, you know, given Paul's other metaphors that he uses about the Christian life, there are some he's very he's very fond of. In Second Timothy, they all appear at once: farming, soldiering, and athletics. Athleticism. These are favorite metaphors of Paul that are so appropriate to the Christian life. In Second Timothy, he talks about the farmer, the hardworking farmer, is the is the first to enjoy the fruits. To enjoy the fruits of the, of the harvest. You know, uh, you think of a farmer. Think of the hard work. Some of you grew up in farms. I know that. Some of you know about that. The hard work, morning till night. And when the harvest comes in, there's nobody out there clapping and applauding, right? There's no championship trophies given. But you get to enjoy the fruits of the labor. And in this particular case where he talks about striving, this is, this has the, the imagery I thought, of, I thought of two areas given Paul's other metaphors. One is in, in, military. You know, in the, in the Roman, in the Roman world, the Roman army, their, their way of fighting oftentimes when they, the phalanx, when they would form a, a battle battalion in the various companies, and you've probably seen pictures of, of these large shields they would use, the infantry, when they would go into battle. And they could take those shields and they could protect themselves. They could, if they interlock and they, and they stand together, If you separate that group and and separate them and spread them out, one individual, one individual, one they're much more vulnerable than when they stand together. Paul was familiar with Roman soldiers. He was familiar with this. He said, stand together, strive together. When I was a kid, we used to play Roman soldiers, right? And um, some of my friends in the neighborhood. And, you know, we had some great things available for shields. You know what they were? Garbage can lids, all right. Some of you remember the days of metal garbage cans, right? The new plastic ones don't work so well because the lid, the whole thing comes together. You know, I wouldn't be but the old days, man, you pick up that round garbage can lid and you got yourself a Roman shield and you've got a wooden soled sword that you made in the basement and you could soar fight. We never hurt anybody, I never hit anybody with the sword. but man, we would the only problem is and then my mom said, What happened to this garbage can lid? Why is this what's going on with our garbage can lids are all beat up? And the rest of the garbage can look really nice. Well, I was defending our household against the, against Whitey, you know, Harry and Bill and so forth, you know. But I always kind of was fascinated by this, this Roman military maneuvers that they, that they could use. Paul says striving together. I thought of another, you know, when Paul, when Paul talks about the, the athleticism, you know, team sports was not such a big thing in the Greek world. You all, you, we all know about the marathon and the Olympics that came out of the Greek culture. Some of you are running marathons this week and half marathons and so forth. And um, but, but team sports weren't such a big deal, but, but, but groups and individuals and groups together. And I thought probably the one closest in the athleticism would be the, would be the relay. You know, the relay, when, when the relay is over and everything happens as a team, And, and, you know, the baton is passed or the baton could be dropped. The whole team's disqualified, not just the person who dropped it. If you win, the whole team wins. You get a trophy, the whole team gets a trophy. It doesn't matter who was fastest and who was slowest. You did it together. You strove together. This is the imagery Paul is using here. He says, listen, Philippians, whatever happens, live a life that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ." And when I come, or if I hear about you, I'll know you've been standing firm. And I just want you to notice this together aspect, standing together. Paul Paul is not so much saying that that you just that, that he says, look at contending as one person, not not just individually. It's so important. We we do this together. And the other metaphor I've thought of from nature is you think of a forest, and you think of a, of a forest and how underground, the forest, how the roots intertwine and how much stronger that whole forest system becomes when the roots are intertwined. And if one tree or one group is weaker than the others, the others support it. And and I just, I want to remind you, please. And I have to remind myself all the time when I, you know, we live in such an individualistic culture, right? That's just kind of who we are. We're so individualistic. When we read these epistles, when we read these letters, Paul is writing a letter to a church, a group of people, maybe several house churches by now at Philippi. And when he writes this to them, it's not always just about me or you. It's about us. Paul is saying to them, look, I mean, think of it this way. We right away, I mean, I right away think of all these things about me individually. But Paul's writing to the group and saying, I want you to do this together. You need to strive together. You need to work together. You need to fight together. You need to be interlocked. You need to do this together. Listen, I'm, I'm hoping to hear of you when I come. Not just of, of Cornelius and, and Epaphras and Judah and James, Mary and Miriam. I, I want to hear about you as the Philippians, that you together, You're, people are, are seeing there's something different. What is different? What is, what, you know, if, if our church were, were automatically Taken from this community, as I think Matt Matt Emerson last year admonished us when he he brought his message. Would anybody notice anything? If all of a sudden we up and left, packed up and left, would anybody notice we were even gone? Uh, We we are called to 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 together, to be attractive. There's going to be opposition, no doubt. But we together, we need each other. You know, I'm a pastor and you expect me to say this and, and I get that. But I really believe this if I wasn't a pastor because I know where my roots came from. I know what's, what's made the difference in my life. And I'll tell you friends, being part of a faith community is so important. And I just also want to tell you, and I don't, and this is not a throwaway line, but I appreciate so much that you're even here this morning. I know how busy you are. I know what's going on in many of your lives, and I, and I, this is a beautiful day today. And and you could be anywhere, but you've chosen to come. You've chosen to serve, to lead and worship, to be, to teach, to lead, to help, support, encourage. You've made that choice, and you're here today. And God bless you. God bless you for doing that. Your very presence here is a ministry. You think, well, I'm not really doing anything. Yes, you are. Your presence here today is a ministry to other people that God uses to encourage us. It'd be very lonely to be here, just three or four of us. We could do it. And there's so many that say, well, you don't need the church. You don't, you can, yes, you do. We need to do this together. God has called us to be strong Together. And this is what Paul is saying. And he says, don't be frightened. Then he goes on in verse 27. He says, don't, don't be frightened. Without being frightened, verse 28, without being startled, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved. Wow. Strong language. The Bible does talk about judgment. It talks about judgment and condemnation for rejecting the love of God that he so freely offers. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. But this should be a sign to you that you are on the family of God if, if you persevere these things and are faithful. It's interesting, this word startled, I don't know why, a couple of commentaries that are really good in the Greek language mention this. Uh, one, the one that's used by the Bible translators to other languages made the point that this word is used in the Greek vocabulary to describe a horse that is suddenly Startled. Some of you know something about that. Uh, Bill Bill, uh, Bill, Weber one time was in our Greenwood parade, a little cart and a horse, and the horse got startled. And there they go. They were gone. Parade was over for them. I don't know what spooked them. I don't know what happened. I remember being at the parade in, uh, Levin, in, in uh, Ellensburg one time at the rodeo parade. And man, one of those big wagons with about eight draft horses got startled. That's not a place you want to be. I can still remember as a kid watching that wagon going like this down the street as those horses were coming down this way. It was scary. And and this is what the word he, this is the word used here in the Greek language. Paul says, don't be frightened. Don't be startled. Hang in there. Have courage. Don't be startled by those who oppose you. This is a sign that they will be destroyed if they don't change, but you will be saved and that by God. Now notice, we're going to close this last verse, verse 29. This is so important. This is so important. And this is amazing. This is really, really struck me as I was reading this and studying this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Jesus Christ. This is on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only to believe on him or in him, but also to suffer for him. What's interesting is, where well, my translation uses this term, It has been granted. It has been granted. It's the word gifted. It's the word root charis or charis. That is a root for grace, for joy. It's a multifaceted word for thankfulness, for gift giving. Have you ever thought about that? That this is a gift of God? What is the... Best gift God gives us. Paul says here, you and I, Philippians, you as a church, we as a body, as a group, the believers here in this location, we have been gifted by God. It is a gift. It is not an obligation. It is not a happenstance. It is a gift of God that he has given us to believe on him. Do you know that? You know, that's a gift of God that you even can have faith and trust in Him. God took the initiative. You didn't. I didn't. God provided salvation. The Holy Spirit's the one who called me. I was in third grade, but God called me. The Holy Spirit called me. God gave me the gift. God's enabled me. God has given us the gift to even believe. It's a gift of God that we even are here today proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is a gift of God. It's a grace of God. That one is probably a little easier to understand. But the second one, it is a gift of God to suffer for him. That is just as much a gift, a grace of God as believing on him. And I want you to notice, first of all, as we conclude this, I want you to notice that we are here to suffer. It's a gift to suffer on his behalf. It is is similar to those who would serve, those who who serve in the military to to defend their country. It's, it's, It's they're doing it on behalf of their country. This is not primarily what we get out of it. But we are here to do it on behalf of Christ. That's why we shouldn't be afraid. We should not be intimidated. We should not be terrorized. We should not be frightened and startled by opposition. We should not only... We've read the passages, Dan read to us earlier. Not only should we expect it, but we welcome it. That's counterintuitive. I'm not looking to suffer. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking to suffer. But when suffering comes our way in whatever form it takes, and it can take all sorts of ways, relationships, financial, physical, trouble with family, it can be all sorts of things. Whatever it is, remember, friends, what do we, when all is said and done, when all is said and done, what is it? We gain more of our understanding of God. We gain more knowledge, as Job did. Job said, I, 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 I it's all different now. I used to hear you, but now I see you. That's what he got out of it. And Paul tells us in the passage, Dan read that series of things that it evident, it eventually builds character in our lives. And I just want to end this this morning that, to remind you that, that we are stronger together. I, I, am, I, would be, I am so much stronger with you in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. My young people, my children, my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, these little ones, they, they are so much stronger Together than just out on your own, stronger together that 's why we 're here that 's why it's important that 's why we come and I want to encourage you friends to that this this is this is a, an important part of our Christian walk that we do this together, and we encourage when someone brings somebody to your mind, you pray for them, you call them, you talk to them, you write that note rather than put it off. I know people right now who are just really struggling through things right now and how much it means to them. I hear it over and over again. Yes, I know it's not a throwaway line. I know people are praying for me. I can can tell. How do you tell? How do you tell when someone's praying for you? I hear it all the time. I know I can tell that they're praying for me. Listen, friends, let's do this together. Let's be a place that is attractive, don't, don't underestimate that. Don't be afraid of opposition. God can use the very thing that is opposed to attract others and those other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's attractive to see lives that love God and they share that love with the others. Let's be stronger together. Let's serve the Lord together. We're going to close our so- service today. It's another song. We're going to guys come up and lead us in our closing hymn. We worship together, we serve together, we fellowship. We, we, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you know what? You know when most of the outreach to the unsaved world takes place? is when we leave this place. In your neighborhoods, your place of work, your schools, your families, that's where the gospel permeates and draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do this together. Let's serve. And let's conclude with a wonderful song you guys lead us. Let's stand and dismiss down our song. You know, that's our plea. Lord, just give us Jesus. Give us the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us know more of Him and learn of Him. And you know, I I, I bet you anything, there's some junior high young people, some senior high young people, some college-age students, Some young adults, some middle adults and older adults. There's some carpenters and computer programmers and office workers, food clerks, you name it. Some neighbors, some relatives who you may not even realize and I may not even realize that are desperately asking someone, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. Why not us? Why not? Why not you? Why not me? Why don't we show them the Lord Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit do His work? Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the privilege of being part of Your faith community. We thank You again for the privilege of having a place where we can come. We we join the throngs of the millennium who have chosen to gather on the Lord's Day in all sorts of different places and circumstances, but they've chosen to gather to worship, to be nourished, to be encouraged, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to share the good news of salvation. We've gathered and as we scatter, Lord, help us to give them Jesus. And may your Holy Spirit open the hearts to the wonderful news. Don't let, don't let us be intimidated. We don't need to be afraid. This is your work, not ours. And we are privileged to be a part of it. May we stand strong together and give them Jesus. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen. God bless you for coming today. Join us again next Sunday.